0: All right, uh, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, Heavenly Father, you gave us your word in order to strengthen and keep our faith. Uh, Keep us strong today as we read, mark, and learn your word. Bless our hearts and minds to receive everything that it is that you want us to know about everything that you have done. Lord God, Heavenly Father, especially grant to us that we faithfully receive the works of your son, Jesus Christ. Grant us faith to believe everything that he has done for us. In your name we pray, amen. All right, uh, so I think where we left off last, session 10 is where we are, at the bottom of the page, Acts chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Um, Before we get there, I think that there were a couple of questions from last time. That we want to get to so whoever has those questions, please feel free to ask them now.
1: Okay. I was visiting when Pastor thinks about it that uh, he wanted to cover baptism, emergency baptism, and baptism of infants when they're born in
0: the hospital. Okay. Uh, Can you tell me anything more about about your question, or we just want to talk about that in general and and cover it a little bit?
1: Well, about the yays and nays of it, because I I know somebody that every time they've had a child born, they go on ahead and baptize their baby at the hospital, and then they go, they plan a public baptism at the church.
0: Okay. Um, So... Baptism in times of emergency. Whenever there's a baby that is born and there is a question about whether or not it will survive or if it's uh, healthy enough to survive until it could actually get baptized in church, you can baptize a baby in this type of situation. Obviously, if everything went perfectly, um, the baby would be born and then... A little bit later, at the earliest possible convenience, they would baptize the baby in the church, and everything would be hunky-dory. The entire church would witness this baptism, and everyone would be able to affirm, you know, yes, this baby has been baptized. Everyone can be sure of that, because this is, you know, an important thing. If the child ever comes back later, hey, was I baptized? I mean, we would have lots and lots of uh, evidence and witnesses, and especially church records and things to show that, yes, you have been baptized. In times of emergency, though, if the baby doesn't look like he's going to make it to baptism at a church, or if there's any question or any doubt about it, anyone can actually baptize a baby in this situation. Um, The command of Jesus to to baptize everyone, it's not specific only to pastors. That's preferable, uh, but it's not strictly required. After you would baptize a baby in an emergency situation like this, though, uh, what you would do later, what Lynn's question was specifically about, she said she knows someone that would then go and baptize the baby again in a church after having already baptized it at the hospital. We don't see that as being necessary, because only one baptism is strictly necessary. Uh, So we don't need to do that again. But what we would do later on in the church is an affirmation of baptism. Uh, We would bring the the child forward, usually, and the pastor would attest to the fact that, yes, this baby was baptized. Yes, we are receiving this baby into the membership of our church as a child of Christ, as one of God's children. Um, And that would kind of assuage any kind of Fears or questions or doubts that anybody would have regarding the status of this baby. Uh, what else?
2: Yeah. So, it, it, the, the right Vicar is talking about is called the um, uh, public recognition of an emergency baptism. And it mirrors our baptism right and a lot of the things that we do in the church, except we just don't baptize because. Scripture's clear, baptism is a thing. It's God making the promise and what needs to be done one time, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so it's not something that we do more than once. I'm hoping that one of the times we baptize a person and a stick. Um, so what are the... What do you do if someone is in the hospital, baby or otherwise, that needs to get baptized because... It's possible something would happen, um, but what do you do?
3: I got like the baby that was dying, And it was a pre baby. <clears throat> and the lady was Catholic, And my friend and I went in, and in the work room, because this baby was taking his last breaths. And, and we baptized. And then the priest came later and thanked us. They were in mass. I mean, this was going on on a Sunday morning. And then I had a Baptist patient that was, big, was dying also. Because you don't know sometimes what the religion of people are.
2: And so the parent was grateful. So, and hopefully, I mean, even when the opportunity arises and it's very, very rare, call the pastor first, right? right. Yeah. And say, I did call the um, Pastor Moline, Pastor Poppy, um, there's an emergency, we need a baptism, can you make it? Uh, And luckily here at Good Shepherd we have two pastors. So hopefully one of us should be available most of the time. If you can't get a hold of either pastor or a pastor can't make it, say Pastor Poppy and I are both in um, Southern Texas pintail duck hunting or something, I don't know, okay? So they were both gone. Who do you call next? Well, we had a baby that was a Lutheran baby, and our pastors were at convention. Convention.
3: And Pastor Wolf was a retired pastor. And yeah. I loved him. He came right over and <coughs> baptized that baby, because we were in Shibet to Alma.
2: And so then again, here's a good shepherd. And
3: wanted it baptized before the baby.
2: Here at Good Shepherd, we have uh, about five currently uh, pastors who are either retired or in between calls, including one who's the husband of the secretary, who probably answers the phone if you call the church. So that's the next step. Say, so now we're at seven pastors. You could call. If all of those seven pastors are busy, hopefully, then you could talk to one of our elders. And the elders would be able to come in and do that. And I think, I imagine you've talked about that at a elders' meeting before, that if if necessary, a pastor <coughs> is unable to be there, that our elders, one of them could come and do the baptism as well. And then, I mean, now we're quite right a ways down the, you know, we, we it's just kind of like who's the vice president, who's the vice vice president. You get far down, the likelihood is very small. But even if if an elder couldn't get there, then that's where anyone can do it and where does it teach us about that vicar where where can you turn to know what to do and what to say
0: uh, we have in our hymnal in the near the back of our hymnal it's like two pages from the back we have the right of uh, emergency baptism i didn't have a hymnal when i all that's necessary because it says it has a few different it has a few different things that you can do and say in here there's a couple uh, pieces of scripture that you can that you can read, you don't have to. Uh, then you can also say the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed. You can, you don't have to. <coughs> because what makes up a baptism?
3: Water in the Word. Water, water the
0: Word. What word? God's Word. God's Word, okay, what words specifically?
4: And that Father's Father's of the Son and Spirit.
0: Exactly. That is all you need. Water, And those specific words, not just anything from the Bible, but those specific words. Um, So if it looks like there's not time even for these other scripture readings or to say the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed, that's all you need. That's all you have to do. Um, Nothing else makes it a baptism. No other uh, ritual or any kind of ceremony or anything like that that anyone could think up uh, makes it more of a baptism. All that's required is the water water, and the word. Typically, I think also, for example, if it was just the father that was there present, um, and the baby is here in front of him, typically the way that you would want to do an emergency baptism would be to have at least someone else there that can attest to exactly what happened. Uh, even if it's just like the doctor or the nurse or anything like that, anyone to be a witness. Preferably, it would be a member of your congregation who can also attest to the fact that this was done correctly. And that practice has kind of evolved over a long history of people not exactly understanding what's necessary for a baptism. Um, I don't remember where I heard the story or, or what. I just remember this little anecdote of someone was going to be um, made like a bishop or someone higher up in the church, kind of like a district president or something like that. And they were, they were all kind of uh, getting together after this happened, and the person's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a district president, for example. And they were all telling stories and stuff. Well, the, the maid, the nurse who delivered this guy, was there, and it was her time to kind of tell this story. They're celebrating after he got this big, you know, promotion, or whatever you would call it. And she's like, oh, I just got to tell the story about when he was born, you know. It, it looked like he wasn't going to make it. And, uh, you know, it was I, was, I was worried for him. I was really worried for him. So so I had to go ahead and baptize him. And I'm like, oh, yeah, really? Yep. So it was just right there. And I baptized him just in the name of Mary and Joseph and little baby Jesus, and they were like, this guy, who is now our district president, is not baptized, (laughs) so let's get you baptized right now, so they went and they baptized him right then, it was like, whew, things like that happening uh, are the reason that you would want to have a witness, someone to attest to the fact that yes, this child was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um. So that's, that's preferable. Any other questions regarding that?
1: Any other thoughts?
0: Uh, yeah. I wonder if the pastor had some kind of a, a thought
1: about the... Like if you come across a car accident and the son, an adult, has not, not been baptized. They want to be baptized because they are probably dying and... I can't remember, did you have a something about that situation, Pastor? Should,
2: should you baptize then? Or is that well,
1: no, I couldn't remember if you had a condition that you should not do something or if, you know, or what you should definitely do.
2: Well, I mean, um, we don't just randomly baptize someone. So if we were to come across an accident and someone was injured and dying and we're talking to them uh, about Christ as we ought to and they say I'd like to be baptized before I die, you should baptize them. But if they're unconscious or if they don't want to be, we don't baptize them. For the same reason we don't go to like a Nebraska football game with the fire hose and just Spray everybody who's walking into the stadium say, I baptize you in the name of the Father. I mean, um, we, we want to make sure we're doing it in, in good order, I guess, would be the way to say it. And so if if, if they're requesting it, uh, if we have the ability to do it, and it's an emergency, yes, um, but we would never do it to someone who's unconscious or if we didn't know or, or anything like that. Does that kind of make sense, or? Yeah. Well, what is the repercussion of that? I
1: mean, if they were unconscious. What?
2: Well, um, if they're unconscious, um, we don't know if they have been baptized or <coughs> not. We don't know if they're uh, Muslim or Mormon or Christian. You know what I mean? So we wouldn't we wouldn't want to just baptize them in that way uh, because in Matthew 28 um, Jesus says, when you've gone make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've commanded you. And those two things do go together. I know that practically speaking there's a certain amount of division. So, for example, um, Hannah is, she was baptized years ago. And while we've been teaching her the faith, the formal education part won't start for a couple of years yet when she starts confirmation class. But the whole reason that we baptized her is because we also know we're going to come and we're going to teach her the Christian faith throughout her life. And those things need to go together. The same way, maybe an example would be if you had a pot of dirt and you put a uh, corn seed in there, but you never watered it. What would it do? Well, nothing. nothing. And that's, and in a sense, that's kind of a picture of baptism, um, where we're promising also to make sure we're teaching that baptized person the Christian faith. And if they're unconscious, we, we can't we can't say all of those things in good conscience.
5: Pastor, I always thought. <clears throat> If I came upon an accident like that, baptism isn't something I was concerned about. My question would be, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? To me, that would be the important thing.
2: Yes. I mean, if you have the opportunity to have a conversation with someone who's dying, you should do it. You should do it.
0: In my mind, the situations where that would happen would be, you know, if... You're comforting someone that, you know, is there waiting for the uh, emergency services or something like that to come. Um, And you're kind of having a conversation with them and talking to them and keeping them, you know, from panicking or anything like that. And that's where that kind of conversation would, uh, would kind of come up. That conversation could not come up, however, if that person were unconscious or just completely out of it and hysterical and stuff like that. Um, this kind of leads to the question going off of what Pastor Molin said, you know, you, if the person's unconscious, you don't know if they're a Muslim or if they believe or anything like that at all. Would baptism uh, benefit someone who was a Muslim or an unbeliever or a completely different faith from us? The answer is no. Mark 16, 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, When someone is baptized, but they don't believe, that doesn't really give them any benefit. So you wouldn't really be helping the situation at all. Um, There could be a thought maybe that, well, maybe if I baptize them, then the Holy Spirit will work in them and do this and that and the other thing. Uh, but just like here in the book of Acts, we don't ever see the apostles baptizing anyone without also teaching them, without also uh, there being faith. That's, that's kind of the important part. Belief and baptism together is what works. A lot of times, uh, like for example, my professor in uh, pastoral theology, he worked at a mission site kind of in South America for a while and you know they had, he had people coming to him all the time where you know hey baptize my child baptize my child and everything and he was happy to do it and the church was just growing like crazy down there I mean the people were just starving for the word and they loved it and you know he did hundreds and hundreds of baptisms while he was down there as a missionary uh, but sometimes people would come to him and bring their kids They'd be like, oh, yes, baptize my, my child here. And he'd be like, don't I know you from somewhere? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we come to church all the time. He's like, no, I know everyone who comes to my church all the time. And he, he was really diligent. I mean, just extremely faithful. This guy is great. He, he knew all the people that came to his church. I haven't seen you for like a year. In fact, I haven't seen you since the last time I baptized one of your kids, you haven't been bringing your kid to church. You know, he had this conversation with them. If I baptize your child, you know, Jesus commands us. We have to baptize and teach them the Bible. And you haven't been doing that second part. So I have no reason to believe that you would actually teach the Bible to this child if I baptize it. In fact, when you baptize a child, you don't teach them that kind of makes them a target for Satan, for him to work and you know point all these flaming darts at the kid. And so there were some people that, he's like, I'm sorry, if you're not going to bring your kids to church, then I can't, I can't baptize them in good conscience. Because that would really be kind of a detriment to them. What do you hey, think about bring that?
2: bring to you, Victor, that's not just in South America. That's, <laughs> that's right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, a good shepherd church sometimes, and that's, that's a big challenge, that we need to be um, better catechized at what baptism is, and also standing up for our Lord's own words on the matter. Um, I think sometimes we think that baptism's just a magic talisman, and as long as we baptize someone, they can be a pagan their entire life, and when they die, they'll be in heaven. That's just simply not the case gives God's gifts. But uh, just like my dad gave me a set of new tools, and I left them sitting in the backyard. um, After a little while, would they be any good? (laughs) Even though they were a gift, right? Um, And so that's why it is important when you're baptized to be in church, to hear the word, to receive the sacrament of the altar when you're at that point. and do so regularly, as often as possible, so God can keep on giving you his gifts, and, and I'm saying this way, you know, with a little copy out, in that way, keep your faith alive by his word.
0: Strengthen and preserve our faith. And that's, that's why we go to church. You know, a lot of times if you ask people, why do you go to church? Oh, it's to praise God. Does that happen? Yeah, we definitely praise God at church. But is that the reason that we go to church? No. Why do we go to church? Word and sacrament. Word and sacrament to receive the gifts of God. Uh, God gives us his gifts through the means of grace. The word, baptism, confession, absolution, the Lord's Supper, all those things strengthen and preserve our faith. That's why we actually go to church. So that's, that's just as important as baptism, I would say. I think that's unfair to say. Okay. Um. So would you deny baptism to somebody that was a parent that was not a believer? To someone whose parent
2: was not a believer? Yeah, I'm going to say it <clears throat> again. What I would say is that we would have a lot of conversation with the family as much as possible, and that's what we've done before, and sometimes it, um, it's a challenge, right? So. For example, what if um, someone grew up here at Good Shepherd, they went to college in California, graduated, and got a job in Oregon, and never went to a church, never transferred their membership. 10 years later, they have their first child, and they come back and they say to visit grandma and grandpa and say, hey, uh, we should probably get this kid baptized. What's the conversation the pastor's going to have say? Where are you going to church? Here's some churches where you live. Can we help you find one that you want to go to? Can we help me? We're not, we don't want to baptize the baby and then just leave it stranded. But we'll do everything in our power to help them find a way to go to church. Does that sound fair?
3: Well, I'm just thinking of a friend of mine that her mother. Um, we visited her after her baby was born in Texas. And her mother said, take the baby out of baskets. And, and we went to a church that my friend chose, which was a Presbyterian church. And I guess that's what you're saying is probably what that minister would
2: baptize the baby because he said that the parents need to be to the church before they baptize the baby. Baptism is a right of the church and it is we're probably we're probably much more liberal with it than the church has been for <laughs> its entire history today um, but it is it is an important thing to be going to church to be baptized it, it's, it's very important to keep that faith alive.
3: Of course, the babies, like, they're dying the, if they, they die, which wasn't, you know,
2: the situation that I was in. In an emergency situation, we're not going to be like, when's the last time you went to yeah. church You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But um, we do want to make sure that happens. We want to encourage you up. Want God to work
0: there's always a lot of a follow-up after an emergency situation too especially in cases where it's like the pastor thinks to himself, you know have I seen this family in church lately um, you know I don't know uh, there's always a lot more communication after that too where the pastor talks to the family and of course talks to them about having an affirmation of the emergency baptism that always happens in the actual church service. I think that we actually had one just a few months ago, did we not? I was going to say, I think it's
4: a little more
2: than a month ago we had the last public recognition.
0: Yeah. Um, so that happens during the service. And that would be then kind of the job of the pastor con- to continue to encourage this family. Hey, I want to see you in, in church. You know, I want to see your kid well, all the time be and be able to it was preach. It wasn't on didn't minister to
3: the family, so I'm sure
0: yeah. he did talk to them after the baby. Well, we can certainly hope so. We can certainly pray that the priest Hopefully. was doing his job faithfully. Because that would be... Come after. Yeah. So. If, the, if the baby is baptized and the parents are
1: not active church participants the Holy Spirit can still work within that child and as that child grows can he not be drawn to the Lord and it could be a
0: I would say this we put absolutely zero limitations on what the Holy Spirit can do in bringing people to the Lord I mean it's as simple as that can we say is it possible yeah absolutely absolutely I mean, the Holy Spirit can work in people who, you know, they've never heard about Jesus or the Bible or anything like that before, and then they hear about it, and bam, it works that way. Is it also possible that that won't happen? That's happened too. Does that make sense? And does that yeah, answer no, your question? I understand
3: that. I understand
1: that. I'm just saying that it does give the child an opportunity, you know, to perhaps the Holy Spirit, working in that child to grow and come to without the help of
0: the parents. I don't know if we would necessarily say it increases the chances or anything like that. Uh, but it is still well, see, a possibility. They don't have
1: the Holy Spirit until are baptized do they?
0: Pastor, would you? I,
2: I think we have to uphold all the means of grace. So God works faith in baptism. God works faith through the Word. God works faith in the Lord's Supper. And we can't limit what God does, but at the same time, um, if someone's baptized but never goes to church again, it's kind of like I'm married to my wife I've, I've been married uh, for a long time now, right? Uh, date myself here, since 2006, OK? Um, I don't know, am getting old. <laughs> getting older this week. <laughs> uh, if I would have gotten married to her, and then uh, over all those years, since 2006, never ever seen her, what kind of a marriage would we have?
3: I'm that <laughs> <Was that? laughs> and arranged
2: marriage. that? And I think let's think that way about baptism. Then, right? It's not just a magic talisman that gets your name in the record books that gets you into heaven. It is our assurance that God has worked in us. But in the same way that when we get married, we want to actually talk to our spouse, when we are baptized. We want to be where God is giving His gifts. We want to receive the Word. We love the Word. We want to um, work towards receiving the Lord's Supper. And when we're able to, to do so as often as possible. In the same way, uh, I'm married to Elizabeth, and I like to go on dates with her. Uh, I like to get the kids in bed and fall asleep on the couch watching TV with her. You know what I mean? I like to be with my wife because she's my wife. and In the same way, I like to be with God because he's baptized me. Is that a fair way to think about it? What do you think about that figure?
0: Yep. Totally fair. Uh, <clears throat> nothing to add. We're work,
4: okay. the church is Christ's bride. He's the groom. We're baptized and the church accepts this baptized person into the, into the church, right? Mm-hmm. The church, the bride of Christ. Yes. So, yeah, that part. Thinking that uh, analogy fits right in there. That's why you guys pay me the big bucks.
0: <laughs> Earn every penny. Um, okay. I think. I'll make the executive decision since I'm the one at the podium that we'll, that we'll move forward and we will keep on going with our Bible study in Acts, uh, which is why we're here today, of course. So if, if we have any more questions, of course, we're always happy to discuss it. Um, Pastor Marlene will be here all day to answer your questions. So feel free to utilize that. <laughs> uh, so getting into Acts. We are at chapter six, verses seven and eight. Um, so, if we'll start over here with Nick, uh, we'll read it one verse at a time, please. And
4: the words of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became believers in the faith.
0: And then, verse eight, next. Okay, so here, verse 7, it says that the word of God continued to increase. Um, so this kind of serves to tell us multiple things about this whole situation. And this was not just a, a one and done situation. You've heard before of like uh, revivals happening where they'll go and set up this great big mega tent and some preacher will come and he'll do all of his, you know, big speeches and performances and plays and all this kind of stuff and everybody there in the town will be like, yay, this is amazing and uh, people come and give money and give money and it's like, wow, this is so great, that's awesome, but then what happens once the tent gets taken down? Is a huge church built in its place, or tons and tons of little churches built all over town? Probably not. You know, there might be a little bit here and there, but ultimately it kind of dies down. That stuff is largely based on passion and emotions. And, of course, as humans we know emotions can change. The things that you loved when you were a little kid are not exactly what you love anymore. Uh, the passion you might feel about one thing kind of starts to dwindle over the years. You don't really feel so gung-ho about, I don't know, wood carving like you did five years ago. That stuff kind of happens. And that's what like, these big tent churches are based on. But that's not what's happening here. The Word of God continued to increase. Because the word of God is what was being preached. Not anything about emotions or feelings or what you feel about the word of God. This was being faithfully preached. You know, the words of Jesus. It was being taught. The word of God continued to multiply and increase. And the disciples uh, grew and grew and grew. So that's one thing that it serves to uh, to tell us. A big point here is... How do people come to the faith? By hearing the word word of God. That that is the most important part, is the word continued to increase. Because the word is always the focus uh, of our ministry. Um, another, Another thing here on the study, note that Stephen is doing the ministry as the apostles were. So some people would say that, oh, all these other disciples that were, uh, you know, were selected by the, by the apostles, they were just deacons. Um, but that's not true. Stephen here, as an example, is doing the same work that the apostles were doing. So, so. These,
4: the apostles, when they went in and, and preached and found somebody like Stephen, and then they moved on and all went on to the next town... He left somebody behind. I mean, he stayed long enough, right, to educate someone so that they can stay behind and continue to teach, which is something your tent pastors may not be doing, may not be working with local churches. I don't know.
0: Well, don't a lot opinion. of times what would happen with the, the tent churches... Uh, what was kind of their main point that they wouldn't really say out loud but would be secretly kind of the main point. So, that's kind of that's kind of a big difference. Um, they would be using and abusing the word to try to draw people in and make people think that, oh yeah, you are experiencing this big conversion into Christianity. Uh, but they were just kind of using and abusing people's emotions uh, to get money out of them basically so that was that's that's the big difference here the disciples are not in this for money the the disciples aren't in this for glory or anything like that the very true purpose of them is to spread the word and so the bible tells us they are accomplishing their purpose the holy spirit is with them the word is spreading the word is increasing does that answer your question
4: The only experience I had was uh, the church had someone come in, and I don't remember now if they were a Methodist or not. I mean, they came for three nights. They preached at Whitfield Methodist Church. And people would, if the pastor recognized somebody that wasn't a regular member, you know, he tried to make contact with them and then follow up with home visits. which is
0: good. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, typically, the the big tent pastors wouldn't really actually be looking to increase the word. They'd be looking to increase the size of their wallets, typically. Um, and yeah, it's largely based on emotion. Can emotion sometimes bring you to the word?
4: Sure.
0: Yeah, sure. You know, that's not like a bad thing. But will emotions keep you there? Not really. The Word will keep you there, the Spirit will keep you there, and faith in God and His Word will keep you there, not your emotions. Fair to say?
5: Vicar? Um, yes. Back in the 70s, we used to have lay witness weekend. district whether they reached out further. Uh, my husband and I went to many of the churches around the Nebraska district. And it was a, a weekend. You started on Friday night, and it lasted through Sunday. And it was to go in and, yes, excite your church, but it was time spent in Bible study and um, and lots of getting your congregation to, oh, I don't say the word, but uh, to incite them in, as how they can uh, grow better as a church and work together in a you know, more unified manner. <laughs> and uh, it was the same type of thing. Lots of excitement, good weekend, but after a time it died down. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we did that at Hastings at our church, too. And uh, it, the, the idea behind it wasn't money, it wasn't, you know, I mean, it was all spiritual, and it was for the betterment of the church, and, it, you know, it was a good idea, it was a good plan, but it just didn't last, you know, and uh, so we see those kind of things yet today.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. I would say, with that, is growing our number one purpose? No. Like as a pastor, what's, what's the pastor's job? Is it just to grow the church? To teach
3: and preach the word
0: of God. Right, it's to proclaim the word and to faithfully administer the sacraments. Um, that's, that's the really important part. It gets really dangerous when a church starts thinking, how can we grow faster? How can we grow faster? And they start thinking numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers. What can we do? How can we change to attract more people? Uh, that goes down a really dangerous path where the focus turns from the word and faithfully administering the sacraments well, I don't to think in numbers. In uh,
5: I mean, growth was important. But it was more to get those that were already there, who were already attending church, <coughs> to get more into the word, mm-hmm. to to attend. You know, we see it here. We have lots of members, but you know, they, we don't have people who attend every Sunday. Um, and even you know, even, the, even though it was pointed to to positive, um, and and there was a certain amount of Emotion at the weekend um, it just kind of fizzled out to it was,
0: it was sad yeah it's kind of trying to jump start people with emotion uh, into coming to church but as we know maybe, maybe it did increase attendance uh, somewhat maybe it did excite some people go to church and then they went faithfully after a while but like I said, emotion can burn out pretty quick. Excitement like that can burn out really quick. Pastor, it looks like you wanted to say something back there. Nothing. Nothing. Okay. So that's a little bit of a perspective of like the church growth movement, where numbers are their number one concern. I'm not saying that's always what it was uh, with with all those services and events and stuff, because certainly events and uh, services, and things like that, they can be fine. It's always good to encourage people to go to church. If you're bringing everyone in and doing Bible studies, uh, bring their attention to the Word, that's fine. It's not going to give us 100% efic- efficacy, if I can say that word right. Um, but it's a fine thing to do, as long as our focus doesn't shift, as long as our focus stays on the Word and not on how many people can we get to to start coming again. That make sense?
1: But if you don't sure. continue to grow your membership that I mean I've, I've been involved in a church that's like this that it literally dies because the people age out mm-hmm. until, the, until the people die and if there's no one to come in and keep the ministry going, you have to. Yeah. You have to want to, to
0: grow. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it really helps to, to teach people and talk to people, um, you know, like people at the church. Talk to them about how do you spread the word? How do you talk to other people about Christ? And how do you spread uh, things about the Bible? Because we can't just go up to people and be, hey, Nick, have you been saved? Well, I'm going to invite you to my church. I mean, that that kind of thing doesn't work. That is something that we have to talk about: is how do we evangelize to people? And that's a fine thing to do. Um, But again, it's all about the focus. It's not necessarily about the numbers. It's how do we spread the word of God? That's uh, that's the really important part there. Uh, Another. Sorry. Go ahead. Say what? A funeral is a good place to spread the word of God. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah and we've seen that I mean we see that pretty much at every funeral we've seen that at funerals here the pastors that I talk Mm to I mean they're always aware of that and funeral sermons are uh, a point of focus at the seminary too it's like hey here is the perfect situation for you as a pastor to reach people who maybe haven't gone to church in like a decade Um, and that's and that's great Absolutely. Not saying anything against that. The heart of the issue that I was talking about, like with the uh, church growth movement, who is it exactly that calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When we start thinking too much about numbers, 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 how do we get more people into the church? How do we get more people in the church? Again, our focus shifts to what can I do to make people believe? That's a really easy thing to do and we see that with a lot of evangelical type churches today, non-denominationals and, and Baptists and stuff. How can we bring more people in? How can we save more people? How can we spread the word of God? It takes the focus completely away from the Holy Spirit from the Word and puts it on us. And that's, our, that's the tendency of the sinful nature is to focus more on us. What can we do? What about my works? How can I convince someone of uh, the Bible? How can I convince them that the Bible is really true? How can I convince someone that Jesus is really a real person? That's not up to you to bring anyone into the faith. The Holy Spirit is ultimately responsible. Now what is up to you is to know your Bible, to study, read, mark, and learn your Bible. So that way, when the opportunity does present itself, you can faithfully talk to someone about the Bible. And you're not going to spread any misinformation. Uh, you know what to talk about with them. Uh, that's really the important part. You've got to make sure that you know it, you can talk about it, but it's not on you to bring someone into the faith. That was, the, that was a really big issue with the church growth movement. Focus on the self rather than on the word, on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the danger. And like I said, I'm not saying that any of the services or, or the stuff that was happening in the 70s, I don't have knowledge about that. I haven't studied it or anything. Um, but if people go too far down that path and just totally take a left turn away from what the church really does that's where we run into issues when the focus shifts from what we're really here for anything else okay (laughs) Um, all right I think that we can keep on reading through that was a Nice short little section, so we'll read Acts six, nine through ten.
3: Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of freedom, as it was called. Jews of Sweden in Alexandria, as well as prophets of Sylvia and Asia. These men began to argue to Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom
0: with the spirit by whom he spoke. Okay. Uh Here's something that I would like to cover with this. You ever talk to somebody and maybe it's just a conversation, maybe it's an argument. I've gotten in lots of conversations and I've gotten in lots of arguments with people um, over, for example, the Bible. We're here in Bible studies, so we could say that. Uh, and you know, you're talking with them about baptism, maybe. You're trying to tell them, hey, listen. Uh, you know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 says, baptism now saves you. How can you argue against that? And you'll be talking and talking and talking with this person, and, you know, I've you know, written 60 comments on Facebook or something talking about baptism and how the Bible really does tell you that baptism forgives <laughs> sins. And then, on like day three of this really long conversation, I come to find out, This person doesn't actually really even believe that the Bible is the word of God. And so I'm like, oh, I wasted so much time talking to this person. We don't even have the same starting point. We have a completely, like, one term that I heard one time was a completely different moral bedrock. It's like, if you don't both believe that the Bible is the word of God... I guess you've got to keep on backing up. You've got to keep going further down until you can find some kind of common ground. Uh, here, when Stephen is talking to these uh, freedmen, for example, they're not buying anything that he is preaching to them. One possibility for these freedmen was that they were uh, Jews that came from like the Italy area and then came here and and all gathered together. Uh, And they don't have the same view on Jesus, on anything that Stephen is preaching to them, on the word. So it was like he spent all this time preaching and teaching to them, and they're not buying They say, we need to get this guy out of here. We need to find a way to shut this guy up, <laughs> because he is trying to destroy everything that we believe in. Um, it's, it's a bit of a tragedy. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in the next section, too, but I wanted to point that out, that whenever we are talking to people and stuff, it's, it's good to find common ground first, and start with some of the basics sometimes.
3: Yeah.
1: A non believer to a non believer, you you talk about the word to a non believer, is it not true that it's all nonsense to them? Doesn't that say that in the Bible somewhere that it's totally nonsense to
3: them?
0: Yeah, it does. I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't I can't pull that out of my file cabinet right now. Well I mean, those um <laughs> but but yes, I mean in a practical sense, if you're talking to someone who is an atheist and doesn't even believe that God is real or anything, does it, does it help you out to use the Bible as your source? I mean, not really. If you're talking to someone about abortion and they don't believe in God or anything like that, and you say, well, you know, God says that uh, before you were formed in the womb, he knew you. That's not really going to help your case because they're going to be like, "I don't even believe in God, so that doesn't mean anything to me." That's right. Does that answer your question, or, or your well, comment? I, 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 it wasn't really a question, but at
1: the same time, it is because, as as much as I study the word I and mean, what I never feel confident in being able to to approach other people. With the word, I, I can't go to scripture like a lot of people can, and um, if it's nonsense to
0: them, is it like you not? Is it better not to say anything or what? I mean, you always want to be honest with people. You don't want to act like you know a lot more than you do or anything. So if somebody is asking you a question. And if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, you know, that's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I would have to think about it or I'd have to you know, ask your pastor or do some more studying before you answer the question. It's okay to tell them, I don't know about that right now. But, but what I'm
1: thinking is those people would be coming back at you with the nonsense you're talking I mean, that the word is all nonsense to so them anyway. Yeah, I mean... It, and they come back
0: with a, with a point of anger. Yeah, it, people will come at you and attack you. See, you you don't even know what you believe. You don't even know the Bible, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I've, I've seen that kind of thing all the time. In that instance, you know what you do? Just gonna walk away. Are you going to change their mind? Uh, very low possibility of that happening. Um so it's okay to just be like, you know what, let's talk about this a little bit later. That's okay. You're not forced to talk to every single person about what the Bible says or anything. And in situations like that, there's not really a use for it. I think fair to say, Pastor? We can keep the high spots, though. Oh, sure. <laughs> when a job, witness people come to your door and
3: they don't believe it. My husband did that job because this gave oh, him no. a little pride
0: You don't have to. You don't have to know every single verse in the Bible and you don't have to be an absolute encyclopedia because their faith doesn't depend on you. It's the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's not your responsibility. Again, your responsibility is uh, studying the word as much as you can and knowing it as best as you can. Now, maybe someone's best isn't, Knowing absolutely everything and being an, an encyclopedia. That's okay because it's not up to you. It's the, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that gives people faith. It's not, it's not, the, word, not the words of, uh, of Tom, the vicar. Uh, let's see. Continuing on, unless we have more comments or thoughts, got just a little bit left here. Reading through to try to regain my, my train of thought on this. Um, basically, the thing that all of these people have in mind, the Cyrenians, or have in common the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, and the people from Cilicia. Is that how you pronounce that? I've never been sure. That's how we
2: say it in English. Okay,
0: I'm English, so uh, Cilicia and Asia. They're, they're all Greek. Stephen speaks Greek. He can preach in Greek. So these are the people that he is preaching to. Those, these are the people who uh, can understand him. And inevitably then, those are the people that have a problem with the things that he's preaching about. Um, and I think that if we get into the next section too much, then we'll be going significantly over time. Because we're already at 2 o'clock. Um... So, were there any other questions, or, or thoughts, or comments before we close for today? So I think that we had one question at the beginning of the class. Was there another question from last week that we did not get to, to cover? I thought there was, but I don't
2: remember who the other person.